don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed taking this big sweep of this narrative and, and seeing how the story unfolds. Lots of uh, benefits in taking it together, isn't there? Uh, we really spot things that maybe we miss if we split it up and take it in little chunks. And so it's been great to work through uh, this big section together. And tonight we are in Genesis 47. This is the word of God. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants, flock, for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the, in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any evil men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of your years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they, had, that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and flocks, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe in them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. 
Only the land of priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed alliance from Pharaoh and lived in the alliance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statue concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. And the land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is the word of God. We're going to come to this passage in just a a few moments. We come to Genesis 47. If you have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to to open it up and to follow through with us as we work our way through this passage together. Just before we come to it, we're going to take some time to pray and ask for God's help using uh, the prayers of an old saint. Let's pray. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that as seed sown in good ground, it may bring forth 30, 60, or a hundredfold, as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen. When it comes to prayer, it seems to me that there are, there are a number of ways that God might choose to answer a prayer. Like a, like a good father answers his child, there are different responses that can come about. Sometimes God says, no. Sometimes God says, no, and, and perhaps we confuse that with God not answering prayer. But actually, picture a little girl coming to her father and asking for a, a new toy. If he was to say no, that is a very valid answer to the request, isn't it? A very valid answer indeed. But sometimes God says yes, doesn't he? Sometimes he says yes, like the little girl receiving the toy. We get the thing that we prayed for. 
We say, yes, God has answered my prayer. And then sometimes God says, not yet, not yet. Last week, we mentioned the promise that had been made to, to Abraham all those years earlier about the, the descendants being the number of stars in the sky. And we said that that was slow at coming about. It seemed that God was acting slowly, didn't it? And sometimes what God teaches in his answer to prayer is patience. Patience. His timing is not always our timing, is it? The little girl gets what she wants, but she has to wait much longer than she would have anticipated or liked. But then there are times when God answers our prayers, not by saying no, not by saying yes, not by saying not yet, but rather he answers by giving us immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Picture the little girl getting a gift and the gift is something that she couldn't have dreamed of. It was so much better than what she came and asked for in the first place. It just blows her mind. Immeasurably more than she could have asked or imagined. And I think the last of these is what we really see in this chapter this evening. Jump back with me to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43 and verse 14. I had the wrong verse, and then I realized I'm in the wrong chapter, so that's, that's helped me out. Genesis chapter 43, verse 14, and, and what is Jacob's prayer here? Look at Jacob's prayer. Before he sends his sons off to, G, to Egypt, uh, and Benjamin is included at this point, look at his prayer. He says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your brother and Benjamin. That is his prayer. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your brother and Benjamin. What was it that he prayed that God might do? Well, I'm sure in his best case scenario, if God was to answer yes to what he was praying there, what would have happened? Well, Simeon would have been released from prison, yes. Benjamin and the other brothers would have returned safely from Egypt, yes. And they would have came back with enough grain in order to supply their needs for the next few months. That would have been the yes answer, wouldn't it? Well, God heard his prayer, God answered his prayer, both uh, the brother who was in prison, Simeon, and Benjamin, they safely returned, don't they? But God didn't just say yes. He answered by giving immeasurably more than they could have asked or imagined. Firstly, the brothers returned, not only with the sons that he had hoped, but the brothers also returned with news of Joseph. Joseph, the, the, the son who he assumed was dead at this point, the news comes back and says, your son Joseph is alive. He is alive, as if he is back from the dead. That is a wonderful answer to his prayer, isn't it? Immeasurably more. And then look at God's immeasurably more in terms of provision throughout this chapter. God provides him with the best of the land. Do you see that? We see that in verses one to six. Joseph's father and brothers, they, they arrived down in Egypt with all that they have. Uh, it's all been packed up and, and now delivered down to Egypt. And they arrived down in Goshen, and it's on the outskirts of the city. Uh, and it's really where Joseph wants his family to be placed. And five of Joseph's uh, brothers are brought before Pharaoh. 
It must have been quite something for these lads. Uh, these boys were farmers. Uh, do you know that big day out was hitting the mart, and here they find themselves in the city, uh, and not only in the city, but they find themselves being brought before uh, the most powerful world leader of the day. It must have been quite something. And Joseph has already prepared his brothers for it, hasn't he? He's prepared his brothers for it. This is what you must say whenever you meet Pharaoh. We've seen that at the end of chapter 46. He had told them, make sure you tell him that you are farmers, that you are farmers, that you look after livestock. And so I don't know if there was anything else talked about between Pharaoh and the brothers, uh, but the bit of conversation that the writer of Genesis chooses to, uh, to record for us is the part where they are sure to say they are Farmers, they look after livestock just like they have been told to say. But notice what else they say. They say that they are servants. Here they are, and these men are now humble, aren't they? They say that they are servants. They say that they are sojourners. So they recognize that this movement into Egypt is one that is temporary, one that is a temporary home as they seek a place to stay. And also they, they make mention of the place that they hope will be their home for this temporary period Goshen, a place that is on the outskirts, a place that's actually in God's divine providence would keep them as a distinct people. They wouldn't get all intermingled uh, with those who lived in Egypt, but it would also be a really good place to escape from, a good place to leave from. And look at Pharaoh's response in verse five. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know of any man who is among them, any evil man who is among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Here are God's people. They've been brought down into Egypt. They've been rescued. They've been saved from this famine that was taking place in Canaan. And what do they get? What do they get? The best of the land the best of the land and some good government jobs to go alongside it as they look after Pharaoh's livestock. Isn't there a sense as we, as we listen to the story unfold that we must say, God has given them more than they could ask or imagine. Isn't that what God's been doing? He's given them more than they could ask or imagine. And just look at how it's emphasized again in verses 11 and 12. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided for his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Where do you see what's happening here? Joseph takes care and provides for his brothers, doesn't he? In a way that is surely, surely better than they could have ever hoped or dreamed would actually be the case. And here they are, they've moved on, and they get the best of the land. The best of the land. They've got plenty of food to, to, to fill up their hungry bellies. And given the backdrop of their own situation, coming from a, a great famine, well, we see that a great stark contrast, don't we? As they receive all of these good gifts, God has given them more than they deserve. He's answered that prayer with immeasurably more, hasn't he? And I wonder as you look back over your own life, I wonder can you see that God has been good to you? God has blessed you with more than you deserve. You might not have the, the best land in, in Rich Hill or, or Armagh for that matter, 
But I wonder this evening, do you have food in the fridge? It's a wonderful blessing, isn't it? I wonder, have you got a fridge? That in itself is a blessing, isn't it? What about a roof to sleep under, a place to call home? That's a wonderful blessing, isn't it? What about friends, family, children, parents, brothers, sisters, a church family? What about spiritual blessings? A church that teaches you the Word of God. A library out there with loads of books that will really help you to grow if you take some time to read them. Musicians which come along and help to, to lift our voices as we seek to praise God together. Others who serve in, in endless ways within the, the church family here to support us and care for us as a family of believers. What about salvation itself? Salvation itself, the forgiveness of sins. If you're a Christian here, think back and think, this is a wonderful, wonderful gift from God, isn't it? One that you did not deserve. God has blessed you richly, hasn't he? I wonder, can you see some of the blessings that you've received this evening? I wonder, can you not say, yes, God has, God has given me immeasurably more, immeasurably more than I deserve. And if you're a Christian, that is surely true, isn't it? God has given you immeasurably more than you deserve. I think it's really important that we see the good gifts. We recognize that they come from God and we give thanks to him for them. Because I want you to notice something about Jacob. Jacob doesn't seem to see it, does he? Look at verse seven. Jacob's brought before uh, Pharaoh. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And we're going to come back to that in a little second. But look at verse eight. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. As we listen to his response, is there not something within us that says, oh, Jacob, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Now, we know Jacob's story so far. We've been working through it week after week. And so we know that his story is not one that has been easy. His life's journey has, has had many ups and downs. There was family friction uh, with his, uh, his dad and his brother. There's been marriage trouble. There's been the struggle to have children. There's been issues between him and his father-in-law. He's experienced the death of Rachel, his beloved wife. There have been years in which he thought Joseph, his son, was dead. And we know all that, don't we? And we are not wanting to belittle in any way what has happened in his life. And yet... And yet, it seems that Jacob has once again turned in on himself, turned in on himself. He has become so self-focused that he has failed to recognize how God has given him so much, so much, much more than he deserves. Look at him. Here he is. He's standing before Pharaoh, this pagan ruler, as a man who has been chosen by God. What a wonderful blessing. Here he is, he knows the promises of God and he knows the presence of God. What a wonderful blessing. Here he is, he stands before, before Pharaoh in Egypt with his whole family, 70 in total. Isn't that what we said last time? 70 in total. What a wonderful blessing. 
And here he is, he's been given the best land in Egypt and provision has been made for all of his family. And he has been granted thus far 130 years. And yet, he doesn't know how many years are still to come. And what does he do? He looks, he looks at his fathers, those who have gone before him, and he complains because he says, well, do you know, they lived for much longer than me. <laughs> he hasn't even died yet. <laughs> and we listen to him, and he, he sounds like a grumpy old man, doesn't he? Who fails to have eyes to see God's good and kindly provision. And if we are honest, aren't we prone to do the very same thing? We can become grumpy old men in a sense, can't we? We can so easily fall into this pit of despair, only focusing on the things that have not went in the way that we would have longed for them to go. And we, we nurse them over in our minds and they get bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where they cloud over everything else and we fail to see all of the good gifts God has given us. And we look at others and we look on at their life from what we can see and we think, well, it looks like everything's much better for them. I wish I had their life. Give me their job. Give me their house. Give me their spouse. Give me their children. Someone once said, comparison steals joy, doesn't it? Comparison steals joy. And here it is modeled out for us in the life of this man. Proverbs says this. It says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones, dries up the bones. And so I wonder this evening in your heart, has it become turned in on yourself? The default being, woe is me. Everything in my life seems to be going wrong where everything for everybody else is just great. Or are you humbly looking at the blessings that you've received, recognizing you don't deserve any one of them and seeking to live content before God, thanking him for what he has given you. Well, the difference is so evident, isn't it? The difference is evident for the, the person, the individual themselves, as they, as they live with a different mindset, content, thankful, with joy in their bones, life in their bones. But it's also evident to those around them, isn't it? You know the difference. Think of the opportunity that Jacob has here. Here he is, he's before Pharaoh, before Pharaoh himself. I mean, who gets to do that? Who gets called up and said, you can come on in and chat to Pharaoh? And Pharaoh has this obsession with long life. He's, he, he asks him this question. He has an opportunity to testify, doesn't he? An opportunity to testify how God has kept him thus far, how God has saved him, how God has rescued him, how God has called him to be one of his people. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and now the God of Jacob. And you wonder how different this conversation could have been. But let's jump back to the blessing of Pharaoh by Jacob that we saw in verse 7. Because perhaps this is maybe one of the surprises in the text. Uh, here we have Jacob, the old man who's run out of food, presumably pretty skinny at this stage, and um, arrives down from Canaan, hungry, and he comes before Pharaoh, a man who has everything at his disposal, a man who no doubt would have looked well-fed, the most powerful ruler of his day. Uh, and the way blessings typically work is this, the greater blesses the lesser. The greater blesses the lesser. And if you were an onlooker in this situation as 
As Jacob comes before Pharaoh, you would say, well, surely, surely Pharaoh is the greater here, isn't he? Surely it's Pharaoh is the greater. And yet, although he has all of the power and the wealth that comes with being a Pharaoh, Jacob knows what it is to be blessed by God and the promises that come along with it. The promise that was made to Abraham still stands. What was it that God had said? I shall bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so it seems that rank and position don't seem to impress uh, Jacob that much at this stage. And so he blesses Pharaoh. In fact, he seems to do it twice, doesn't he? Once in verse 7 and once again in verse 10. And with Jacob's blessing, Pharaoh is blessed indeed. Isn't that what we see in that whole next big chunk of text? The famine is severe. There's no food in the land. And so what happens? Verse 14, Joseph gathered up all of the money that was found in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh was blessed, wasn't he? He was blessed indeed. And what happens next? Well, the money is all spent and they came again to Joseph seeking food. And Joseph says, okay, but give me your livestock. Give me your livestock in exchange for the food. Verse 17, so they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. All of the livestock is now Pharaoh's, isn't it? Pharaoh is blessed indeed. And once all of the money is used up, they come to Joseph once again and they say, buy us and our land for food and, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh and give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. Verse 20, so Joseph brought all of the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields because this, the famine was severe on them and the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Do you see that it is through the actions of this one man, Joseph, that God blessed Pharaoh? He now holds basically all of the wealth, all of the livestock, all of the land, and all of the people in Egypt now work for him. God really did bless Pharaoh with great riches and wealth. Pharaoh really is blessed, isn't he? And, and yet so are the people of God. Do you see that? Because look at the comparison between what's happening with the Egyptians and what's happening with the Israelites. Look at verse 27. After painting the picture of what's happening in the Egyptian camp and, and how all the Egyptians are struggling. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. Seems that there's a great comparison, doesn't it? A great comparison between the Egyptians and what it's like for them and the Israelites and what it's like for them. Because God has been at work, hasn't he? He's been at work richly providing for his people through their brother Joseph. And look what happened. They gained possessions. They are fruitful and they multiplied. God is growing his people. What seemed like a, a promise that was slow to take off that we mentioned last week, well, now it's really taken off, hasn't it? Things have really moved up through the gears and there's lots and lots of children being born. 
You see, Joseph ruled in such a way that it was for the good of his brothers, for the good of his brothers. And isn't that what Christ does as he rules? He rules in such a way that it is for the good of his brothers and sisters. He rules in such a way so that in all that happens, it works together for the good of those who love him. And that is a wonderful thing, isn't it? That is a wonderful truth to cling on to this evening. That's an incredibly pastoral truth, isn't it? No matter what we're going through this evening, no matter what is happening in your life, it is for your good and the good of those who love God. And that helps us, doesn't it? Surely that helps us in the struggles, in the suffering, to know that what you're facing is not purposeless, but in fact, God has his good purpose in it, his good purpose. And look at the language even of, of verse 27, when it says that they were fruitful and, and multiplied greatly. Wonder, do you recognize that language? Fruitful and uh, multiplying, it comes from Genesis 1, doesn't it? God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it back in Genesis 1. And, and God is bringing about the very thing that he had commanded his people to do way back in Genesis 1. And what happens in Genesis 3? The fall. And yet God's plans are still working their way out, aren't they? Still working their way out. And I wonder, did you notice that the blessing that takes place in this chapter comes to Pharaoh and to Joseph's family all because of the work of Joseph. Neither Pharaoh or the brothers do any work, do they? None whatsoever, really, that were, that were shown. And doesn't that point us forward to what Christ does for his people? How they are blessed through his life and death and resurrection. It's a little shadow, isn't it, of the blessing that comes through the work of Christ what he has done in his life and death and resurrection. Christ does everything in regards to our salvation. And it's through him that we have access to this great inheritance, a great inheritance that is kept for us. It is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. And we are fellow heirs with Christ. And here's the thing about the inheritance for God's people. The inheritance that looms is is better than we could ever hope or imagine. We get to spend forever in God's presence with God's people in his place. And the treasures that we will have, well, they will not decay. They will not be eaten, or will they be uh, rust, or will they be stolen? No, they will be secure. And so in that sense, the blessings that we will receive through Christ are even better than the blessings that Pharaoh receives in, in, in this passage through Joseph. But as we approach the, the end of this passage, there's one more thing I want us to look at. Because it seems this chapter has, has one eye on death, doesn't it? In fact, you could say that's pretty much the case in every chapter in Genesis. It feels like we talk about death again and again and again. And maybe, maybe that's because the writer of Genesis knows that we need to know something about death. Look at verse 29. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. 
but let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Now really, there's just a couple of things I want us to, to see here in this little section. We're going to think a bit more next week about preparation for death. Uh, we're going to think about that. Um, but this evening, I want us to notice just a couple of things in passing. Notice Israel must die. Do you see that? He must die. The time is drawing near. And for each of us, unless Jesus returns, the same is true for us. Death is coming, and we need to be ready for it. And notice what death does. It brings a sense of perspective, doesn't it? No longer is Jacob reflecting on his life and how it's been, but now he is looking forward. He's looking forward to life after death, isn't he? And in this symbolic act, as, he, as his burial is going to take place, not in Egypt, but back in the promised land, it points to the fact that he knew that there was more to come. This was not the end of his story, was it? No, there is a new creation for God's people, a new creation to come. You see, God's people are sojourners here, aren't they? They are sojourners. We are sojourners. And there's something about being a sojourner that allows us to live differently, isn't there? A few weeks back, we were on holiday. Uh, maybe some of you were off on holiday as well and enjoyed that. We had a lovely time on holiday. And one of the things that always strikes me whenever you're on holiday is you arrive in your accommodation. There's good excitement as you, as you look around and you get there with your bag and you start to unpack all of your stuff. There's a whole, there's a whole, um, whole I don't know what you call it, a cabinet of, of drawers, right? And they're all empty. And at home, they're not all empty. Okay, so you get all your stuff and you start to unpack it. And the, you know, your, your socks go in one whole drawer. Your pants go in another whole drawer. You're, you're unpacking everything. And yet, as you're doing that, if you're like me, you're thinking, I need to make sure I, I leave all that is pretty obvious so that I don't miss it in a week's time when I'm going to pick it up. <laughs> so as I unpack, maybe I'll just, I'll just use a few drawers. And the ones that are kind of in a more obscure place, I'll not leave it there because I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to remember to bring it with me. And so even as you unpack on your holidays, there's, there's one eye on, on leaving <laughs> a week later or whatever number of days it's going to be. One eye is already on home, isn't it? And that is how we are to live as Christians, isn't it? One eye is already on home. One eye is on the new creation. One eye is, is, is helping us to stay focused on what's to come and, and not to get so focused on what's here and now. Because the problem is if we just look on the here and now and we pin all our hopes on the here and now, we are going to have great, great disappointment we're going to have constant frustration, aren't we, if we are pinning all our hopes on the here and now. Rather, we're to see the good gifts that, that God blesses us with, and we're to see these are little pointers, little foretastes of what it's going to be like whenever we are in heaven and the new creation to come. And those painful, hard, difficult times, well, they're to remind us that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And it should cause us to cry out and say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And as we pray that prayer, we know with certainty, we know with certainty how God is going to one day answer it. He will send Jesus, Christ will return, 
And what is to come for the believer is immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, does that not excite you this evening? As you think about what's to come, immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. And if you're here this evening and you've come along and and you know that you're still outside of Christ, don't you want to be sure and certain of that hope too? Well, if that's you this evening, well then hear the call of Jesus that says, come and follow me, receive him, believe in him, and know the deep joy that is good medicine, good medicine, and brings life to dead bones. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you once again, we are thankful for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we have heard your word, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but as James has been teaching us, that we would be hearers and doers, that we would put into action what we've heard. Help us not to live like this is our home. Help us not to pin our hopes on the here and now, but to have one eye on what's to come, the new creation and all that is held out for the believer. Father, would this settle our hearts this evening? For those who are struggling, for those who are finding things difficult, Lord, might it enable them to lift their eyes and to focus on what's to come. Father, we thank you for what Christ has done for us. All of the blessings we receive are because of the work that he has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, for those who are here who have not put their trust in Christ, Tonight, might they see what's on offer? Might they grasp it? Might they say, yes, I am going to trust and follow Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.